Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. Riddle me this. Will you need your hinds feet in heaven? And tell me if you can. Will you be given the wings of an eagle so you can fly to heaven? Let's get this started with a kick, shall we?
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of the End Time Tribune, the Crucible, Part 6. Well, Brian, we've been working on this for quite some time. Jump right in the saddle. Uh, let's get this ball rolling. Well, folks, this is uh, where we're going to uh, jump forward just a touch in this scenario because, well, there's things going on here in Alexander's timeline that are a little farther, uh, how do you put this, takes a lot more explanation here. Um, Matthew, could you please take the first part here for a second? I got to get some of this stuff up. In the background here. No problemo. Ladies and gentlemen, we were reflecting on Alexander's timeline, the course of events that it actually took for Daniel chapter 11 to actually work out. Uh, If you would like to get the link to this, I'm going to post it on my Twitter feed right now so everybody can take a look at it. That's usually the easiest way to do it. Um, So taking a look uh, at the timeline here It gives us an inclination as to what we should be looking for And Brian and I just had a talk the other night That if I hadn't got involved and took us where I did Which was kind of out of sequence with what Brian wanted He actually would have warned everybody um, Of the events that's happened in Iraq This week, he actually would have said it before time. So, with that correction in mind, uh, we're going to go with uh, Brian's flow of the way it went. But we have to uh, understand that uh, in 332, remember that Alexander visited Jerusalem, which we've already talked about. But, ladies and gentlemen, if we go back to uh, 33... The springtime sequence, of course, it gets you right down to late July. Not sure about the exact timing of that, but that's when Darius actually left Babylon. So, with that in mind, we realize there is a sequence of events here, and Brian's been working on the isochronal aspects of this, and he's already found links to three ties in history where this sequence of events played out. And it doesn't talk a rocket scientist to find this out. This is Gabriel's plan. He wasn't just telling uh, Daniel the things that was going to happen uh, for this sequence of events, particularly in this first fold of time that we're talking about here in Daniel chapter 11. It is plain and obvious from history. He was actually telling Daniel his modus operandi. This is how he does it. And this is your calling card as to why, of course, the prince of Persia got upset when Gabriel came. And that's, of course, how it all works out right there. That's how the chapter begins with Daniel chapter 11. Everybody fails to talk about that, mention that, uh, that 
why did the angel of the Lord show up to strengthen him? And why was uh, this upsetting to the prince of Persia? Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel chapter 11, Gabriel tells us what to look for in order to see his fingerprints throughout time. So, the other day when Brian and I were talking and he told me that, no, Matthew, I've got links to three. I can see where this exact sequence of events worked out at least twice in history. Now I've got another one. And he started telling me things that are just off the charts, um, things I had no idea to look for, uh, never had the inclination to look for them. And it's just enough to blow your mind. So, Brian, I hope that was enough of an introduction for you, the way we're going to roll tonight. Do you have things ready in the background yet? To a degree. To a degree. Um, just going to improv some of this here, but, you know, I want to bring up to folks uh, a few things to bear in mind as we go through this. Because, uh, as Matthew states, you know, we have this string of events here that played out from the time of uh, the rise of Alexander until his move forward towards the uh, towards the ram himself. And, I mean, we have an entire string of events that happens within uh, the landmass of Greece. Now, I want to point something out just as was stated by a group of... Uh, historians and one of the documentary series that I tried to watch for at least one program and had to turn it off because it wasn't the information, but the production value was just terrifying. But nonetheless, as they pointed out, folks, you have to understand that that word Greece is not what they ever called themselves because it was a vast makeup of all kinds of different ethnic people groups living in each location. So, you know, when you hear that term Greece in ancient times, you kind of have to not pull your mind to the place where you go, well, that's ancient Greece on the map now. No, it was far more complicated. And to give a perfect example of that, all you have to do is take a look at the Balkans itself, for instance, and see how complex and complicated things are there now. No, I'll hold that back for a moment. Because that's going to take a little bit of deliberation on my part to understand what's going to play out here, folks. But, I mean, I'm going to state this. Keep an eye on Turkey. I have suspicions about something. I'm not certain of what to make of it yet, though. But, you know, to paraphrase this section of history of why Darius is, or why Alexander is going out and hitting Greece is, well... The easiest place to get sort of an eyeful is starting with Herodotus to get an idea of what all was happening with Greece during that point in history. I mean, you had all kinds of puppets being moved around by Iran from one place to the other, constant attacks obviously coming in. And this is what literally led to Alexander's, how would you say it, um, rage plan to toppled the Persian Empire because of the years upon years of conflict that had been going on between these two empires. So, a whole lot going on here. And I mean, I will point out, matter of fact, two major events here. 
one that's been in place for quite some time, one that is starting to play out as of this morning. Now, I went to check with uh, Greece's relations with Iran, and, of course, they're all peachy keen. Everything's wonderful. They have great trade ties and the whole ball of wax, which really leaves you kind of going, hmm, isn't that interesting? Now, the Balkans, uh, former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia, They've been in a name dispute with Greece. This has been going on for a long time. This is something that has stopped them from being able to join the EU, from being able to be part of NATO. Now, this place that is titled Macedonia, or F-Y-R-O-M, as they would state it, is complicated again. Because you have a complete mix of different people there. You have groups of Slavic people. I believe you have some Albanians in this mix, if I remember correctly, and a few other different groups of people. This was dubbed part of Macedonia during the Roman Empire. And, you know, I've done some extensive work on looking into the people there, and there are groups of people there that have extensive evidence that do point that they are related to the Macedonians of ancient times. Are all of them? Probably not. But at least some of them are. Now, as of this morning, and right now the president in Macedonia said, nope, we ain't letting this happen. We'll have to see how it has played out at least through the rest of the day and into the next few days here. The name dispute between Greece and Macedonia is being worked out. The announcement earlier in the day was that they were changing the name to Northern Macedonia. Like I said, the president interfered. I don't know if that's changed in the meantime. When uh, Matthew's speaking, I might look into it real quick to see if something else happened. Now, I will point out that this really catches my attention when you hear that term being used for that section of Northern Macedonia because all of a sudden... When you start thinking, for one, when Alexander's kingdom fell and the kingdom was divided up, and then you get to the time of the Diodaci, the wars of the Diodaci and all that, you start to get a little bit concerned when you realize where that king of the north was operating in that time. Because it would have been through that entire stretch throughout there. So that's where... I get a little bit concerned when I see the title Northern Macedonia because my mind is already going, oh boy. Something might be at play here, folks, and this is something to keep a major eye on. Because, you know, as Matthew stated, I have found already a set of cycles playing itself out in history. And the more I go through this on top of it, you realize that these sets of cycles that transpire, for instance, after 21 AD, moving through 70 AD, going up to 322 AD, whipping forward to 622 AD, and you keep going forward in these progressions, you realize what's happening is the entire end times groups of people are all being moved into their proper places. 
And it's quite something to behold once you realize what you're looking at. And that's the other project that I'm working on in the background that ties into all of this. And folks, what that means is uh, there's more to this cycle with Alexander the Great and Macedonia. There's a whole lot more going on here. Now, it's just a precursor into that. I want to get Matthew to comment on what I just stated before going forward with where we're heading with this tonight. Well, we should expect exactly what you're saying, that people's being played like a chessboard through, through history, through time. Even though the economic system changes, even though um, generations come and go, it's amazing how they're being manipulated right into the place that they're going to be, and they're never going to see this coming. And that is what is such a disturbing thing to me is that you know let's let's talk about World War one. All of those people should have known exactly what was coming. They should have known that they were going to a place where millions more people were going to die, and yet they marched straight ahead anyway. And it doesn't matter what generation you're in. I mean, this generation is so grossly different than the generation from World War One or Two, no doubt about it. But you step back and you marvel at the simple fact that they are being manipulated just as if this was a war game on a board. It's it's disturbing to me, and I'm very grateful for the simple fact that the bride works differently. It's absolutely amazing that once she figures out that she is a citizen of heaven, none of this political strife even matters to her. Look, it doesn't matter if you're in Germany and you're a Christian, or you're in Bulgaria and a Christian, you're going to know that there is no Christian to vote for. I mean, just like the people just experienced uh, there in uh, Ireland. All of them are Catholic. It's common knowledge. Nobody wants abortion to be legal, and yes, that's what they got shoved down their throat. And everybody knows that's a joke. It's a joke. Ireland has been, always will be, absolutely Catholic. And this is just a prime example that we can use from this timeline. That the bride is absolutely protected when she remembers that she's not Irish anymore. Yeah, she may have, you know, uh, red hair, and she may live on the aisle... But she's not Irish anymore. She's sure not Catholic. She's not Protestant. She's a Christian. That is the that's the ultimate method of escape. It's just to quite simply don't get caught up in it. Know what you are and know what you're supposed to do. 
or your rat is irrelevant. Ladies and gentlemen, let me get this through your head. Irish Christians are supposed to act exactly like you. They're supposed to act like their uh, American Christian counterparts. They're supposed to act exactly like their Russian counterparts. And just so you know, if and when the bombs start falling, 99% of the people that die are not going to be soldiers, ladies and gentlemen. It's not going to be the North Koreans against the Americans. No, it's not. It never is. Do you actually think that the people of Hiroshima or Nagasaki was at war with the American people? Get a grip. Get a grip. And yet they were nuked into oblivion. So... Everybody needs to realize that no matter where you're at, you're going to be looking around and you're going to be watching this happening. And oh my goodness, all the other people that go to church with you, and I didn't say the other Christians. That's not what I said. I said the other people that go to church with you, they're going to try to get you to pick your side. They're going to try to get you to convince you… That you're wrong if you're not on a team. God don't have a team, ladies and gentlemen. He just has a bride. And she's going to be ready. And she's going to be dressed in white. Or not. And if you don't believe that, you need to reread. I don't know. How about the Minor Prophets? Because he's very clear with his intentions. He don't give a flying rip if you're German, if you're French. He absolutely does not care. So, Brian, back to you. You ever just go to look at something and go, oh, no? Boy, oh, boy, folks, we are... I would say hovering right over this 20 hours ago. Oh, boy. Well, apparently the timing of this show was right on time, right on target. Now, what are we dealing with here, folks, tonight? Well, the simplicity of this is, as Matthew stated, what we're dealing with here is the time that in Alexander the Great's timeline is when Darius is in the midst of Babylon. Well, to break things down a little bit more, we're just going to sort of sum up essentially what has been going on here with Iraq. Now, everybody, at least many people out there should know by now that since America is, uh, how do you put this, bungled? Invasion of Iraq in 2003, everything there exploded. Now, of course, uh, George Bush uh, 
Jr. after that invasion, after 42 days after toppling Saddam Hussein, stood up and said, mission accomplished. As I stated before, it was after 42 days. But the problem was, is mission accomplished was a really quite to the contrary uh, factor because what they did there was created a vacuum. Not to even mention they gave free access to Iran to completely come in and pretty much take over. And that's exactly what happened. Now, of course, this built throughout time. And trying to make sure I'm at the right spot here in this because you will find out that many of these major players started coming in there around 2003. Now, okay, this is uh, where I needed to be. Um, let's see here. Once again, I'm going to be going with the secret war with Iran, a 30-year clandestine struggle against the world's most dangerous terrorist power. Again, I will post that to my Twitter and you, uh, Facebook page later for those of you that want to take a look at this book. Now, this, uh, there's obviously a lot of lead-ins here going on, but folks, you need to take careful note of groups, for instance, the Badar Brigade, Mukadah al-Sadar, Hezbollah, because this all starts getting set in motion in 2004. Um, just to start in a rather strange spot in this paragraph, as in other cases, the Iranian involvement in Iraq was led by Al-Quds force of the Revolutionary Guard. It trained the personnel of the Badr Brigade that had entered the no-fly zone in northern Iraq before the invasion, then dispatched them on suicide missions inside the country. It also provided training, funding, and weapons to another Shiite force, the Al-Mahdi Army, that was established in June 2003 to fight the American presence under the Shiite leader, Muqaddara al-Sadar. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Okay, folks, two of these that I just mentioned are in play in Iraq right now as we speak. Now let's bring a third player that's in play. In January 2004, Israeli intelligence informed the CIA that a new unit had been formed by Hezbollah with the purpose of stirring up the rising in Iraq called Unit 2800, which headquarters in Beirut, most of its personnel came from the militia's own Badar Brigade, not to be confused with the Shiite force mentioned above, deployed north of the Latani River in South Lebanon. So, wow, once again, folks, this is another group that's in play right now as we speak in Iraq. Now, we had the elections that just transpired here. Let me see if I can pull up the uh, exact date of these. Beginning uh, 12th May of 2018. Now, while this was going on, I was keeping a very close eye on it, knowing full well the exact things to watch for within this election. Now, I have spent a great deal of time over the course of the last few years here basically studying the different events that had transpired during the Iraqi 
war when the United States invaded in 2003 and then the different uh, skirmishes that continued to break out there afterwards. And although they'll call it basically sectarian fighting that was going on back and forth between the different groups and all that, but really when you start breaking things down, yes, there was fighting back and forth between some of the Sunni and Shiite groups, but that divide in Iraq was fiction as far as things were concerned. When America invaded Iraq into 2003, they, America came in with the atypical divide-and-conquer mentality, and they started stirring up this conflict between this division. Now, I've got a few documentaries out here where you can actually watch the testimony right out of these people's mouths, including right out of the Iraqi people as this was all being stirred up and they got brought deeply into this divide that was caused. Age-old tactic, problem was, is it was, uh, I would have to say, the most destructive tactic that could have ever been used in Iraq itself because what they did led to everything else that played out. Now, give me one second here, folks. Sorry about that. My throat was getting really dry. But this all started leading to this downhill climb. Downhill climb, that's an interesting one. Kind of reminds me of the uh, infamous Greek myth where they roll the boulder up the hill every time. Must be a strange reason why I said that. Uh, Anyways, but this is exactly what played out here. Now, as we came into this Iraqi parliamentary election of 2018. Now, folks, recall, I had just mentioned this name here of uh, the Shiite leader, Muk Tada al-Sadar. He was the person behind the army of Mahdi. Well, here's the turnout. The winner of the election was Mukadah el-Sadr. Then after that, Hedi el-Amari and Hedar el-Abadi. And then on top of it, you go into more complexities in this because each one of these players is capable of setting people within the governing body. And you have a whole lot of uh, other things playing out here with the grouping of everybody that's being put into place. Now, after the election, as it was playing out, there was already accusations of election fraud and everything else going on in the background. There was major breakouts within Kirkuk. You had, on top of it, you had bombings happening at different places throughout this, ISIS attacks flaring up in their little pockets where they're still trying to chase them out of Iraq. So, of course, you had pandemonium and chaos going on here at the same time as this election cycle is going into place. Last week, as they've been basically stating they were going to do a recount within the election, now they're stating that there was going to be a, uh, what do you call it here, a new election essentially moving into the mix Possibly, and then the last uh, main leader that, well, he was an American puppet, I don't know how else to put it, but at least uh, 
anytime that America tries to set up a puppet, well, that's not the way things work. And as much as they want to have a puppet, those people have free will. So, you know, to a degree, we don't even need to look at that. But the whole point is here is this whole thing kept boiling and boiling and boiling over the course of the last few weeks here. Now, it was either the end of last week or I think early this week. All of a sudden, as they're calling for this recount, somebody breaks into the buildings where the voting machines are stored and torches them. Now, apparently not all of them were destroyed, yet a certain amount. When you see something like that, already alarms are going off. Well, it comes out yesterday that there were certain specific people that were of importance that were arrested for the fire that happened in that building. Somebody was trying to do away with the evidence of the vote being altered. Now, I'm sure there, there's a lot of people out there going, oh, America did it. Oh, America did it. Nah. Because right now what has happened is America has completely lost grip of Iraq. To say that um, America rigged it, no. But I know full well, especially with what's happened now here, 20 hours ago is where the first one is released. <clears throat> because, uh, well, let me explain this a little bit before this. This uh, Mukhda Elsadar, and I'm probably butchering the poor guy's name. I don't mean to, but this is a difficult name to say. He has a major presence high up within the religious body of the Shiites. I don't remember if he was an imam or an actual ayatollah. That's a lot more of a complex topic for now. And supposedly he had broken off his ties with Iran. He's an all-new guy. He's not the bad guy no more to stir up fights against America. We, we know how this story goes. Now, when the news broke about the election being won by him, the vast majority of your political folks here in America, most of the analysts were going, oh, this is no big deal. I'm looking at this going, oh, my gosh, this is a disaster. I caught two analysts, two, that had looked at it and said, this is a disaster. That's how far off in left field most of the folks that were looking at this were. Now, it'd be one thing if I was just making assumptions at this point that they were in left field, but here's the problem. Like I stated, this is 20 hours ago this was announced. Iraq Sadur announces political alliance with pro-Iranian bloc. There's more articles. Radio Free Liberty. Shiite leaders in Iraq form unexpected pro-Iran political alliance. Do I need to continue? Once again, right out of Reuters News, Iraq, Sadr, and Amri announced political alliance. I'm just going to stop there for a moment because, folks, I'm going to give a little bit more details concerning what the temperature in Iraq has been just right even prior to this election. Jump in here, Matthew. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is just, um, you know, what can you say? Um, all the American people should be fuming mad right about now because they realize, I hope everybody realizes you've been 
You've been had badly. Brian saying earlier that we've lost grip in Iraq, that is a gross understatement. I mean, not to mention that we stir the pot with sanctions. We stir the pot with um, saying we're no longer going to uh, you know, accept their nuclear accords. The rest of Europe is begging them to uh, keep the accords. And now you have this, and it's amazing because when you check MSNBC, they're not they're not going to tell you what's actually going on. That uh, hey, by the way, uh, you know the Iraqi people that we had subjugated and murdered in mass quantity. Yeah, they've done realized what we were doing, so they decided to side with their enemies. And ladies and gentlemen, there's no other way for me to break it to you except the way I just did. Why aren't you being told uh, what's happened? You've not only lost control of, of Iraq, now they're in bed with the Iranians. And the only people who have the wherewithal to realize what a dangerous, slippery slope we're on is all of our allies in NATO, which we're basically snubbing anyway. I mean, if you don't realize that this is truly turning into a cup of trembling, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I I really don't. We've got some serious problems uh, working out on the ground right now. Uh, Basically, as you know, um, ladies and gentlemen, what just happened was basically two horns coming together. You don't have the wherewithal to see that? And it's not on every major news station that the American policy just completely um, turned everything on its head. The American policymakers have just turned this into a nightmare. How many of our children have died in Iraq? Uh, how many children have we killed in Iraq? And now the American people are told that, oh, it's all right. Now they've managed to become allies with the Iranians. Oh, my goodness, there should be a march on Washington today. How many millions of your tax dollars have went into this conflict? No, really. How many American soldiers have died there, and how many Iraqi civilians have American soldiers killed? So the budget, both in men and money, is astronomical, and now we've completely dropped the ball. Now they've hooked up with the Iranians. You've just created a – well, (laughs) pick your animal. It really doesn't matter – with two horns. Brian? Well, let me, uh, I'd say a little bit different on that one. It's not the two horns were formed, folks. Those two horns have been formed for a long time. Iran has essentially fulfilled that role all throughout multitudes of history. 
depending on who was in control of the empire at the time. Those two horns are located in Iran. We don't need to even go out. What? This is where we got to jump back to Daniel 5, folks. That's what I was going to bring up in the background. I didn't get to it yet. Because we do have to understand here what happened in the beginning when Darius the Mede, when Cyrus took control of the kingdom. Because Daniel 5, for instance, well, this is the infamous uh, writing on the wall. And let me uh, pull up the KJV version here. Starting at 5, verse 25, and this is the writing that was written, meaning, meaning, Tikal Ufarshin, this is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikal, you are weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Peretz, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation. And that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Now, folks, I have done extensive historical work on this period in time. And if you come across any of your history books, your commentaries, I, I don't care whomever tries to tell you this, saying we can't find any evidence for Darius the Mede or Belshazzar. That is nonsense. So don't let these people lie to you. I can show you exactly who each and every one of these people were, not to even mention take you through the entire history of what played out here. My point being in this, folks, we have to realize that 2003's invasion of Iraq by America and Britain, for that matter, because, well, they kind of, you know, I I find it funny everybody runs around in the uh, crusader camp right now thinking this marriage somehow was some big ordeal where, Britain and America and those ties that bound, which have been broke way back. Oh, my gosh, folks. Give me a break. American and Britain have been working hand-in-hand nonstop throughout history. That invasion set everything in motion because it is shortly thereafter, just as I read out of that book, which this book was written in 2008, folks. This doesn't cover the last 10 years. Okay, it was right between 2003 into 2004, that these groups started moving and setting everything in motion. The moment that you had uh, Saddam Hussein removed it, has everybody forgotten what Saddam Hussein was doing there by rebuilding Babylon? I mean, a lot of the... uh, eschatologist at least pointed out that that was happening during that time. I'll give him credit there. Yeah, it would have been important to keep note of that because him being dethroned set the stage for the two horns of Media and Persia to take over. And that's exactly what they've done. Now, I was trying to pull some more information quick last night to try to refresh my memory on the events that happened in, because, well, this guy's name is Sadr, the Shiite leader, but the city where the entire massive 
fighting began between the Iranian Iraqi forces against the Americans was also called Sitter City. So I was trying to pull up some stuff quick last night. I couldn't find nothing in my documentary. So imagine that. I'm going, really? So I went over and hit my on-demand stuff to see if Vice News had covered anything. Well, sure enough, Vice was right on time, right on target. They went to Iraq right before this election, and the entire piece that they did on this, on Vice's uh, program, was about the fact that Iran has completely taken over Iraq. They go in on the ground, and they show how absolutely out of control this circumstance is, because right now, you have the Iranians are going right over the border, and they're stating that this is pretty much our second home. And you have a lot of people going over there and staying. You had a great big outburst of massive amounts of uh, narcotics coming into there to the point where they've got jail rooms just filled with all the people that have been caught in the midst of this. And as I explained before, this is one of the primary ways that the Iranian Revolutionary Guard has been funding all of what's going on is by moving drugs. They've got connections into South America with the cartels. Lebanon is one of the biggest factors from how they were moving drugs, not to even mention things going on in Afghanistan, which comes at a later point in this infamous uh, ride of the he-goat as he makes his move through knocking over the ram. But as they point out in this vice program, you can see it in broad daylight, folks. What I've known has been going on inside of Iraq for so many years, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now, like I stated in, before, on top of it, back in 2004, they started noting that, noticing that Hezbollah was deeply in the mix as well inside of Iraq. Well, this vice documentary came in and pointed out the same thing. You have Hezbollah sitting right there in broad daylight. The main leader in there is a man from Lebanon. You can tell he's from Lebanon because you just look at him. Yes, and folks, um, the people in Lebanon, the genetic studies have come forward within, I believe, the last year. It is the exact same people that have been there all throughout history, what we would refer to as the Canaanite, depending on where you're at at history and which name they're given. It's the same people that were there in ancient times and continuing forward, which makes life real easy when you're looking at who's who in the midst of uh, these last days. But as I stated, Hezbollah came in there back in 2004. They're a major player in this mix now. When we have something happening like this in the 20 hour time span prior to us doing this show I didn't even catch this yesterday because all I did was quickly went through the news and I was working on this other layer in history so I kid you not folks I didn't even find out about this until now right now oh boy Iran has got total control of Iraq. Now, folks, like it or not, with the situation that is happening as we speak concerning Israel, concerning the Shiite crescent and their control that is stretching through Syria and up into Lebanon with Hezbollah, 
you see, for them to deal with this, they're going to have to deal with Iraq. And as I've stated before, everybody, when Alexander the Great slams into that ram, okay, that took place approximately 104 kilometers northwest of modern-day Erbil in Iraq, which is held by the Kurdish people. Back in ancient times, that was the Assyrian satrapy for in the Persian Empire and continued on for a very long, long, long amount of time, even into the AD years, as being held by the Assyrian kingdom. Persia just left them sitting there. They didn't even bother them, which really wasn't quite the normal or natural thing. And that begins to make you ask a few other questions. You see, because for Alexander to even make his way through there, Boy, oh boy, oh boy, he had to have somebody's permission. You might want to stop and consider that because I would state that that might be very important in the midst of all this. Now, in this documentary, they pointed out what I had already known anyways. And the last major leader that's over the top of Iraq, let me uh, grab that article here quickly, uh, Herder Al-Abadi, I believe that, no, that's not him. Where is his face in the mix of this? Okay, I could have sworn it was Al-Abadi, but that doesn't look like the guy. Nonetheless, the guy that was the last elected president that was running the show in Iraq, he stated this. He pointed out, look, there's, there's no doubt whatsoever that things are about to explode in Iraq because... America has already mobilized at least 5,000 forces into Iraq. And the way things sit, by all appearances, what is about to play out is America is about to begin its proxy war in Iraq against Iran. This was directly out of that leader's mouth, folks. I'm not making this up. This is exactly what he said. This is the exact thing that I have been pointing to time and time and time again, that we have to continually keep a very close eye on Iraq because this is the spot where the he-goat's charge really comes full force when he hits the ram quite hard. And now all of a sudden we have this happening. I also want to point out everybody's attention to what just started playing out in another section that we have been specifically told we have to watch in tandem. I want to draw everybody's mind back to the Gospels. Adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, yet only one sign is going to be given. Skip forward just a touch. Nineveh will rise up in that day. And then what are we told? Queen of the South shall rise up in that day. Folks, within the last 24 hours, the Gulf Arab coalition that is being armed by the United States, France, many others. We just made those big deals out there. The United States did when Donald Trump was out there last year. They just started their full 
force push to bring down the Houthi that are aligned. They're Shiite. They state we're not aligned with Iran. Problem is, when the original Yemen war started this time around the ride, they started flying an Iranian uh, flag on one of their buildings. This one's a difficult one to discern. Irregardless of that, they keep pointing at the fact that Iran has been arming them. And as much as I've learned over time here, as much as I'd like to call shenanigans on our current politicians, I think it's time to step back and reconsider that because Iran's been doing so much stuff behind the scenes. Right now, they are trying to capture one of the main ports and they are making a massive move against the Houthi. It's one of the biggest uh, operations that they have run since this started. This all happened within the last 24 hours. I kid you not. Three mega events. And that's not even the top of it. We've got a spiral of things that are really beginning to get this storm rolling. Now I'm going to hand it over to you, Matthew, for a little bit. Well, it's or maybe cool. not. Okay, sorry. What? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just trying to calculate my thoughts how I'm going to put this because remember how this all began as Desert Storm, Brian? Um, well, all too well, considering I was in the military at that time. It, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you realize what I was saying before Brian took over and pointed out that, well, yeah. These two horns came together. Because of what we did, I thought I was making myself perfectly clear. It was just now it's official. Okay? Now now, now it's official. It took this long for us to botch this up good enough that the Iraqi and the Iranian uh, countries have just formally come together now. And where do you people think all those drugs are headed to? <laughs> no, really. Um, ladies and gentlemen, look. Everybody knows, I mean, there's, you can get all kinds of pictures of American generals in poppy fields. You need to wake up and get yourself a clue. We went in there, we took the oil and uh, opened up a supply chain. For Eli Lilly. And God thinks it's funny that everyone in the West is so stupid they don't realize that. That they have literally been entertained and drugged to death. <coughs> now… It's amazing that I saw one of our sisters post something that, wow, the death rate of Iraqi civilians are way down. Ladies and gentlemen, um, all the blood of all the civilian men, women, and children that's died in Iraq since Desert Storm, that bill is in your name, and I hope you know that. And the Lord your God has used you. 
to twist the entire world's outlook against you. Because like I said, let me say this again. Maybe everyone was hard of hearing to understand what I said. All of our NATO allies are scrambling to keep Iran in the nuclear agreements. Except us. We're the ones wanting to cut their throat. I mean our allies, and everybody knows it. So with this in mind, the Lord your God has set all the chess pieces for you to take a fall. Because la dotty everybody is tired of it. They're exhausted of it. I mean, you need to call the Germans and ask them what, you know, happened with Russia showing up to stop biases. They actually laugh, ladies and gentlemen. You're the scorn of the earth. I, I, I mean, just, just so you know, the Europeans know that it's your fault they got flooded with refugees. They know it's your fault. And they know that the one that stepped in and rescued him from this flood of refugees was the Russians. It, it really was. And only the American people are too stupid to know that. So, it, it's, it's no secret uh, that all these stolen American children by CPS gets taken straight to Georgia, right there to the Caucasus regions, and that's where they enter the slave market. Everybody knows that. I mean, I'm so sorry to be the one to tell you that. Your government is actively working against you. Ladies and gentlemen, how does Eli Lilly get all that opium to make all of the painkillers that they have the whole United States addicted to? Oh, you think there is a poppy field plant outside their factory in Lafayette, Indiana? That's funny. That, that's just downright pathetic. That you don't realize that you're being set up to be the object of God's wrath. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, all I can do is, is pass it back to Brian. But... I mean, this is common knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. All the drugs coming through there, that's where you get your opiate crisis from. That's what's destroying – well, I'm not going to talk to this generation. Those of you who are crowned with, with silver, this is what's destroying your children and grandchildren because, I mean, it's common knowledge. I mean, I, I – Looked at several studies over the past I don't know, two or three years, but it's common knowledge that like almost 100% of the female population um, has to take medication that's over 
28 years old. I mean, all the doctors know it. I mean, the <laughs> basically, if you're an adult woman uh, past the age of 28, you have to take happy pills of one form or another. It's it's common knowledge. And those of you who are crowned with silver that don't understand this, just so you know, it is your American forces that are literally guarding the poppy plants. They're, they're, no, really. And this has been known. That's where your opiate crisis is coming from that you keep hearing you know, the news talk about. It's your government destroying your children and your grandchildren. And you're being set up to be the object of God's wrath. Brian? Well, that's just it. All this keeps spinning, and it's proper. Yeah, there's a reason I said that in its proper circle. This is part of what I'm working on in the background, in its proper circle, understanding the spiral of time that we're moving into. Because, well, in ancient history, these movements played out over several hundred years in some cases. That's not what we're seeing happen now. And this is, has a whole lot going on with what I'm working on right now, locking that in, because I did find something last night that is beginning to make the formula make sense as to how God is counting time through these cycles. Now, folks, there's there's a couple of spots I want to draw everybody's attention to concerning when we had the first Darius the Mede. You know, because when we roll along forward into time, well, Alexander the Great is slamming into Darius the Third of the Achaemenid Empire, which, if everybody recalls, I just read. Daniel 5, well, if we like it or not, right in there is encoded to you part of that Achaemenid Empire in broad daylight with Mina. Now, if you stroll over to Daniel 6, you're also going to notice something happening here. And this ties in to aspects of this history as well because well if we like it or not when the Iraqi invasion when the invasion of Iraq played out I mean folks you might want to go out there and take note of what happened to the Christian populations in the midst of this especially the Assyrian Christians themselves because if you can't see the parallels between Daniel 6 and what happened there I'd take another look at it You know, I, I need to point this out again. I've stated this so many times in the past. Everybody, you have to understand that when Islamic State in its second incarnation 
rose up when they moved from Syria and came into Iraq and took Mosul, which, well, the day they took Mosul was the very day that the funding, and it was signed into effect by the Iraqi governing body, that Nineveh became a government. I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. It happened on the very exact same day that ISIS stormed in and took over. Now, folks, I've seen several documentaries concerning what has been happening with the Assyrian Christians, even with the Kurdish people that were in these locations at that time. For instance, we know on top of it that ISIS slaughtered the Yazidi Kurds almost down. It's terrible what they did. That's all there is to it. But there's a lot of documentation out there concerning this. And folks, one of these Assyrian Christians in one of the interviews I watched, he turned around and went back to Erbil after becoming a refugee and going into one of these European nations. He said, I was better off there. That's literally what he said. You might want to take note of what happened in Italy today if you think I'm joking concerning this because, well, Italy has been trying to turn away a ship coming from North Africa filled with refugees. France had to step in in the midst of this great big argument. France insulted Italy. This is going back and forth. And all of a sudden, this is causing all kinds of trouble because apparently Italy has been taking in a huge amount of these refugees where France is going, well, we need to start helping these people and on down the line. And it turns out that they've only taken in a ridiculously low number of these people while Marcone is going, we need to do more. So, yeah, I can kind of understand why it is that Italy is really irritated with France right now. But this has kind of set the stage for everything that's been playing out in Eastern and Western Europe as we see this massive spike of nationalism that has risen throughout these areas. That's what's happening in real time with Italy. I wish there was any end in sight to all these different events that have just just within the last 24 hours. I mean, let's uh, let's stop and discuss North Korea. Now, of course, a lot of people are jumping for joy and cheering that in the midst of these talks that our current commander-in-chief just had with North Korea, that they're stating they're going to denuclearize the zone, get rid of all their nuclear weapons. Here's the thing. If you know your history of what's been going on throughout the Middle East here, I brought up this infamous figure that was the uh, creator that gave Pakistan their nuclear bomb. Now, folks, like it or not, the first governing body that rose up as a full Islamic nation, you see, everybody thinks it was Iran. No. It was Pakistan. Now, we know full well that their nuclear scientists ran around and gave this technology to everybody, including North Korea. Now, if you've been paying attention to your media, well, this has been going on for quite some time anyways. North Korea has been bringing in the nuclear know-how, material, chemical weapons in nations such as Syria. When we go back 
to, uh, for instance, when Saddam Hussein was uh, launching his Scud missiles into Israel, the chemical warheads. We had him building nuclear weapons, which Israel took, went in and took out. Same thing spiraled around to Syria, where nuclear weapons and chemical weapons in an underground facility were being built. Israel took them out as well. All of this material was coming from North Korea. Now, folks, one thing to take note of, North Korea has submarines. The intelligence has been pointing this out for a long time. And if you don't think that it's not dangerous to start moving stuff around through a submarine, you might want to go back and look at Nazi Germany during World War II. I mean, let me give a little kicker so everybody understands um, how America got their heavy water to build the first two nuclear devices, atomic bombs, which were dropped on Japan. This is out there in broad daylight, confirmed by several sources, reliable sources, that that heavy water was brought to the United States in a deal with the remaining folks that were fleeing the fall of Nazi Germany on a U-boat. They were bringing it out of, take note, Spain, where they had a heavy water facility. Okay, big question, did Nazi Germany have nuclear weapons? Oh, you best believe they did. And Hitler was about to launch them in his last stand. Now, you wrap that around to North Korea. You bring this into this Shia divide. When we know full well that they have been supplying all these nations, and Israel has had to come in there several times and take out major targets. Folks, I want to draw your attention back to something that happened within the last couple of months. Because I watched this play out within... I saw what happened within minutes of it taking place in Syria. Israel came in and they dropped a bunker buster on a very specific facility. Now, within the last uh, 48 or so hours, it also began to circulate out of Russia that the uh, rebel forces are in the midst of launching getting ready to launch a chemical attack, or as they state, a false flag. Because all the European leaders this last week, they came into agreement with Netanyahu that something has to be done about Iran and Lebanon in Syria. This is building at such an unprecedented rate. All these dominoes are being set into place. And I just really have to almost marvel at the fact of what's happening here with uh, our current commander-in-chief, with how things are now being set in motion with North Korea to possibly cause a whole lot more trouble in a very covert way and folks if they start using those submarines to transfer material out of there it's going to be very difficult for anybody to figure out what's going on so I have 
quite a few alarms taking place here as the current commander-in-chief is setting this deal in motion. He was irritated with our previous commander-in-chief, Obama, for doing what he did in Iran. Well, when I look at these events and see what's been happening here, I have concern what this commander-in-chief is doing. But here's the thing. God's will is going to be done in these circumstances. He set all these leaders in places to do his will in the earth. Ultimately, we have to accept that. But we also, at the same time, need to keep an eye on these things, knowing full well ahead of time these things that we're to be watching for. That said, I guess we're going over to a break here for a little bit. Well, I got a better one for you. I don't have one uploaded yet. Um, So I'm going to select one, and uh, we're going to get it uploading to the switchboard as I speak right now. Just a single song this time. I'm going to do the Let the Sparks Fly intro uh, that I did a very long time ago. So until then, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you need to think real hard, and uh, please understand that... uh, It wasn't too awfully long ago in the news that it uh, was stated um, about the Indians and uh, their uh, nuclear submarines and the simple fact that uh, it was alluded to in the news articles that I looked at that uh, North Korea had in fact obtained supercavitating torpedoes. So, ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand that it is Eden that has been the event horizon uh, for the nuclear weapons getting into the wrong hands. And really, ladies and gentlemen, um, you all need to realize that why it's been repeatedly in the news about Israel buying those Dolphin-class submarines from the Germans. They're obviously in operation now in the Black Sea as well as the Mediterranean. When this thing blows, it's going to blow hard. I mean, this is going to create a shock wave that Nobody even understands. It it really is. It's going to create a shockwave that really nobody can even comprehend because before, you know, there really wasn't too much to worry about, right? Do you even understand that a supercavitating torpedo don't even need a warhead? It'll go right through an aircraft carrier's hull. Right in one side, right out the other. doesn't need a warhead. It accomplishes its energy through velocity, just like the rail guns that we have now. And if you have countries as small as North Korea and Iran utilizing supercavitating torpedoes, we're, we're in a world of hurt. 
But you need to understand why all those refugees came, this swarm from North Africa. Let me remind you where they came from. They came from President Obama's 112 Tomahawk cruise missiles that had been launched from submarines in the middle of the night. And it was just a reign of terror. You, you, you do understand that the Libyan military had no way to counter that there was nothing they could fire at to defend themselves because, you see, those Tomahawk cruise missiles were launched from the torpedo tubes. They were made for that purpose. That's what a Tomahawk cruise missile is. It's a Mark 48 torpedo. We got up one morning, and um, you know it was all over the news that we had launched 112 Tomahawk cruise missiles uh, into Libya. Yeah, that was Obama. That's where those refugees come from, and guess who had to deal with them? Not the Americans. Of course, the Italians are tired of getting the short end of the stick, huh? Well, well let me point something that. out fast there with that, too. Now, one sure. of the reasons right. they targeted the docks in the first place is because, oh, that same Pakistani nuclear scientist, and folks, remember in the Ram episode, I pointed out Ophir and its connections to Persia. But that Pakistani nuclear scientist was in cahoots back and forth with Gaddafi. That was one of the main reasons they started targeting him besides other terror attacks that played out. Now, it has been declassified America's role with the CIA to remove Omar Gaddafi. And folks, 2011 again was one of our most major pivot points in world history. And it actually went back to beginning at the end of December in 2010. Hand it back over, Matthew. No, I'm glad you clarified what I was talking about. I remember. I know what's going on. (laughs) I'm not an American. I've never even voted. You know what? None of you really believe this in your heart, but you are going to be with me on Judgment Day? And you all can personally ask God if I've ever voted for a God-hater. No, I've never voted, sorry. Those that raised me, raised me right, and they warned me, don't you ever vote for a politician that's not a Christian. Just look at the voting record or look at their history. If you can prove they're not a Christian, don't you dare vote for them because uh, you're going to pay for it. (laughs) I'm not an American. (laughs) Man, I'm here because I have to be here. Man, I dare you to pay my way to Israel. I'm gone, baby. That's a fact. I've got six Jews right now (laughs) willing to fit the bill. I ain't no American. I'm a Christian. Anybody who's ever met me can tell you that. They'll tell you that to your face. Matthew's no American. He's a Christian. But... You know, when sufficient static electricity is built up, there's only one thing for the clouds to do. Let the sparks fly. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. 
covering breaking news and current events as it pertains to Bible prophecy. In effect, anxiously awaiting the return of Christ the King.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the End Time Tribune. Brian, um, you know, it's amazing everything that's been taking place in the news and nobody can put the pieces together because they can't remember what it is we've done. Uh, it's just amazing to me that nobody could put two and two together that those uh, refugees came from our assault on Libya. It's uh, It blows me away. Brian? Well, the whole region, to be quite honest, even, um, you know, the North African region is going to become very important in the future, especially when we start going back and looking at this uh, cyclical, well, revolution, I guess, would be the best terminology because it's, well, it's uh, spinning in its own revolution through each phase. And even, you know, at the time of Islam coming in and it making its way up into the northern African territories, we had some important things play out. For instance, uh, the Moors that went up and controlled part of Spain for several years. And contrary to popular opinion, folks, when they came in there, outside of the fact that they had to take care of the Visigoth that were there, they actually were very peaceful when they were up there at that time, there was only one flare-up that happened, and now most of the historians think that it was not an invasion that was launched by the uh, more caliphate that was sitting there, which was actually started by the falling of the Abbasid caliphate, where he was pretty much the last surviving member, and he fled up there after the Moors took control, and it turned into this time of just unbelievable things were happening at this place. It was a real uh, a major turning point as far as, I'd say, spinning to where we're at now. Because if that place didn't exist, there's many of the Greek texts that wouldn't have made it down through history. Because they got a hold of a lot of those ancient Greek texts and other texts from throughout the world. And it really influenced uh, their... Uh, how would you say it? Maybe evolution in thinking. Even, you know, their own personal renaissance at the time, because you look at this place, you'll find out that so many of the advances that we're looking at now concerning astronomy, concerning navigation, because they took the old, uh, they figured out how the old navigation technique worked with the ancient Greek, and they applied that to their own navigation, and that came forward to obvious, well, we can take it to when Columbus came forward, for instance, at 1492, which so happened to be the exact spot. When he was leaving Spain, that's when the Moors were leaving. They were kicked out of there, but nonetheless, that's a whole other bigger story. But this North African circumstance, this has been in a slow boil for some time as is, and when we had Al-Qaeda... We had the different groups within Muslim Brotherhood break out and all of this. The whole entirety of uh, portions of Africa has just turned into an absolute war zone. And look, there are people that are fleeing from there that literally need to get out of these circumstances. And that's all there is to it. Now, I know a lot of people are running around saying that these groups are Trojan horses and they're doing this, that, and the other thing. Well... Folks, the amount of these refugees, the percentage that have caused any trouble, 
is so much of a speck that it's literally ridiculous. And they have vetting and everything else set in place so that bad guys aren't getting in to uh, certain parts of these places anyways. You're going to find out most of these people were actually people that were born and had lived in these various European nations or even the United States their entire lives, at least since the events of 2001, that because of certain chains of events with the Western world doing what they were in the Middle East, well, they got fed up. And this does go back. This really does go back quite deeply to what all started happening with colonial times, with Britain making all their moves and taking these places over. Then, obviously, it's switching hands into other players throughout history. We get to the Sykes-Picot Agreement, which this is the big one. You see, folks, because those Iranians stating that we're at home here, okay, folks, they're not joking because actually they are. It's only the borders that were drawn into place during the Sykes-Picot Agreement that separated those groupings. I mean, if you go in and look at the uh, Bathist Party, for instance, if you go in and look at the party that is uh, Assad is a part of, going back to your proper historical places to understand those things, and if you start looking at each little aspect of this, starting to build historically, you understand what's happening here. You've had so many of these leaders that have been set up as puppets. This is what's caused the different moves that have happened throughout all of these nations. Let's talk about Egypt for two seconds. You know, for instance, I've been, had been trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with Muslim Brotherhood. And if you don't understand the fact that these different flare-ups had to do with getting rid of Britain from being on their land, none of this makes sense. Nasser's party, for instance, they were within a group of essentially nationalists. And then you had the other side of the spectrum because Nasser himself, who was the leader prior to Amor Sadat, he was also working with Muslim Brotherhood into these lead-ups. Once Nasser got on the throne, well, he had to take care of any folks that were going to rise up against him. And Within Muslim Brotherhood, they thought that things were going to be ran in more of a theocratic style. There's a reason I say that. Okay, you know, essentially, their religious beliefs ruling over the top of the governing body. That's where the flare-ups between Muslim Brotherhood and Nasser started breaking out. You had one regime, which was a nationalist body. You came forward in time to the Arab League, which was between Syria and Egypt, with the previous Assad, okay, you have the same thread going on there and the rift between Muslim Brotherhood and those sectors was really a breakup in the midst of one group wanted to have things more in a theocratic style, whereas the other one had a, uh, well, the terminology people use today would be a secular nationalist body. You see, that's at the root and the heart of at least current events. So when we look at these aspects where we see Muslim Brotherhood keep popping up, well, Muslim Brotherhood itself is a far more complex entity. There are so many variables at play with that group. But this is where we spin things back around to what's happening on the ground as we speak. Jordan, we're going to stop there for two seconds. 
in the last couple of weeks here, we've had those protests break out. They took a great big uh, loan out from, I believe it's uh, IMF off the top of my head. I can't remember the acronym, which caused all kinds of turmoil in Jordan. They basically have opened their borders for refugees to be coming in from a billion different directions, and they've had to rely on foreign aid to keep themselves going. Now, when you go backwards, you find out Saudi Arabia, um, well, this would be Mr. Mohammed bin Salman, who has been doing nothing but stirring up trouble throughout the entire Middle East, cut off the aid going into Jordan. Now, the Arab League had a great big meeting this week, and a few of those nations decided to come forward and give aid. What I noticed, though, is, of course, Saudi Arabia didn't. I, I don't know how else to state this. This uh, crown prince in Saudi Arabia is very dangerous. It's also come out in the last couple of weeks that in Lebanon, last year, when the leader of Lebanon, Harari, stated he stepped down and wasn't going to run the governing body there anymore in Saudi Arabia. Well, Emmanuel Marcon, who was the first one to have any contact with him over in Saudi Arabia, he came out in the open and said, hey, guess what? Mohammed bin Salman was actually, they were holding Harari prisoner there. That's why when they let him out and he went back, he said, oh, by the way, I'm not stepping down. Well, if you look at the elections that have just happened Recently here in Lebanon, you're going to find out that Hezbollah won a very large amount of those seats there in Lebanon. All of a sudden, this ties back around to Iran and their control. You see, folks, you've got certain groups squaring off against one another. And Saudi Arabia is at the head of one of these groups that is squaring off against Iran. Now we're seeing this play out in an even larger extent inside of Yemen, the land of the Queen of the South. We have massive, massive events suddenly spinning in Jordan. We've referenced Psalms 83 so many times in the past. The Assyrian will be in the shadows, being a extended arm behind the sons of Lot. There's many different ways I could explain this because the Hebrew gets very descriptive when you begin to break it down. When you see trouble in Jordan, such as this, you see the cedars of Lebanon acting such as this. You see the two horns of Media and Persia moving as they are you know you have trouble when the Queen of the South is massively starting to be magnified. Again, things are spinning. And one specific place that I have brought up time and time again ever since we did the uh, Velvet Revolution, Asher being behind the Velvet Revolution, when folks, I had decided I needed to zero in on Azerbaijan and take a closer look. This was just released on June 12th out of I-24 News. And uh, I will interject something here, folks. If I'm going to watch any kind of news channel in my home, 
I actually did get a subscription to for four ninety nine a month because this is the only news channel I'll even put on anymore. But here's the uh, one little spot I pulled out of this article because it's entitled Azerbaijan President Shows Off Israeli-Made Rocket System. But I would take note of this. However, Azerbaijan's government, which has been controlled by the Aliyev family since 1993, has also nurtured increasingly close ties with Iran since President Hassan Rouhani came to power after 2013. Folks, this is important. Because when Alexander the Great slammed in to Darius III, Azerbaijan was part of this Azerbaijan because there's a northern section of Iran that is also called Azerbaijan. There's a reason those two names were used because Atropines was the Persian our media Persian satrapy over the top of this landmass. I have spoken time and time and time again about the Baku oil base, and this is where Israel is getting two-thirds of their oil. Matthew and I have discussed this in the background. We really need to keep an eye on Azerbaijan due to the fact, oh boy. Well, folks, you see right here, I just explained in this article, Azerbaijan has ties going back to 2013 with President Hassan Rouhani. This alliance for that oil could be putting itself into a very dangerous position. I'll hand it over to you for a little bit, Matthew. What you said shouldn't have surprised anybody. You know, it's just amazing that this entire switchboard is just wired to blow. And you look around at the Americans, and they're just, wow, they're just cheering and cheering and cheering. As a matter of fact, they can't cheer loud enough. You know, it makes me wonder when it is they're going to figure out that their cries have reached into heaven. really does. The whole world is bracing for impact except the Americans. I mean, they really won't care until normalcy stops. But they think that they are literally oceans away from all the trouble that they've caused. Literally. They think they are safe because oceans are between all the trouble they themselves have caused. You know, I wonder if anybody realizes the amount of exorcisms that go on in Mexico. Do you know what... uh, do you know what the Mexicans think? I'm going to really rattle your cage. The Mexicans 
believe in their heart they're really mad because abortion was legalized because they firmly believe that every time a baby is aborted, God lets a demon out of hell <laughs> to go possess other Mexicans for the crime. Yeah, it's rumored there's some exorcists down in Mexico for the Catholic Church that's like done, you know, five or six thousand exorcisms. But of course, the Mexican Catholics know that it's not their government. I mean, this is a prime example. How on earth would you get abortion legalized in Mexico? There's a 0% chance of that. And you know what's even funnier? The drug cartels that have taken over Mexico, <laughs> who do you think they're running drugs for? I'll tell you who. The people that you voted for. And the people that God's going to ask you about on Judgment Day. I can't wait for that. I can't wait to see the look on your face. You don't fear God. But you will. You will. It's that simple. You know... Brian, what else do you say about that? <laughs> when everybody else on the planet has a clue, except the people causing all the trouble. That's kind of funny. Well, the Mexicans know who's Christians and who's not. They don't have a problem with it. You know, they'll they'll be the first to tell you. Well, there's Mexicans, and then there's Christians. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, who do you think sells all the drugs that Mexico produces? Really? You really don't know? You vote for them every time you vote. I mean, we just talked about something Obama did, but we, we could name thousands of them. I mean, it doesn't bother you at all that Obama launched 112 Tomahawk cruise missiles. You didn't find out after the fact, and I doubt very seriously that the Senate and Congress, you know, they actually found out after you did. <laughs> no Senate inquiry, no nothing, because there's no law. That's what you want. You don't care as long as Monday Night Football continues, right? You don't care as long as they still have Mardi Gras and Sturgis. But you will. You will care. You know, I got one for you. Me and Brian... As uh, you know, we've been doing uh, our stint on WI2C Radio. 
And, uh, you know, we don't have time to cover everything. That would be impossible for me to do. Absolutely impossible. But there's probably some things that you ought to know. You know, take, uh, take for example, the army that is uh, talked about in Zechariah chapter 14. You know, I hope you all <laughs> take note. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should hold my tongue. Yeah, I think I'll hold my tongue. You don't need to know it anyway. You'll fear God. You will. There'll come a time you'll no longer have to worry about the house payment. You'll no longer have to worry about, you know, going to those inconvenient Thanksgiving dinners that you hate to go to because all your poor relatives are there with you. You'll be delivered from that one day. Brian? Well, this is where I need to interject something before I go forward. As I pointed out previously, this is what I'm working on in the background. And as a matter of fact, as I explain this, this is going to give a little bit of an indication as I go. When we begin to look at history, if we start even... 21, 22 AD, start making our way forward. 70 AD, start making our way forward. Every major pivot point and event in history all keeps building, putting the specific players in their proper places as we go forward. The thing is, is well, I'm stopping here to state something. Now, I have spent considerable time going through varied, be it pieces that are coming from the intelligence communities. When you specifically start getting the information that has been declassified and made available by members of Mossad and the other varying groups within Israel, you really begin to understand what's been happening behind the scenes that just a glance at the news isn't going to really give you the whole story. And there were reasons in the background why decisions were made in very specific spots. For instance, concerning Libya, there were things that were happening behind the scenes that did lead to the decisions to start firing those tomahawks in there. Each player on this board is making their own specific moves as they are supposed to. 
I just mentioned that 1492 marker before the exact same spot where those Moors were kicked out of there and sent back across to North Africa and some of them filtered wherever they went. Well, we know on top of it that Columbus had launched from there at that time. You see, his original mission was to find a way around with a ship to get on the other side of Israel over there by, for instance, where the trouble is within the Gaza Strip. This last week, they just took out more tunnels that are leading out there for Hamas's uh, naval and special forces units that they were using to get out across that water and move around to launch attacks into Israel. Well, that's where one of uh, Columbus's initial missions was to find a route to get over to that side. Of course, there's a lot more to this. There's books, stacks of books concerning everything going on with Columbus. Uh, That's a whole very complicated topic. We know as well on top of it, he was trying to find a place for the Jewish people to go to get out of these European nations. This has also been solidified. In fact, time went along. As I've stated before, his first discovery was in Cuba. Obviously, as time progressed on his different exploration routes, he had made it over into the Americas. But that's a pivot point. As those pivot points built, well, then obviously everything is slid into place for the last days, one-third for Revelations, End Time, Babylon. But let's go backwards. Let's look at, in light of current events. Remember I brought up Yemen? Oh, it comes up. If we go over to just take a simple look at the Achaemenid Empire. I mean, I'll just go with this uh, this little spot here in the Wikipedia article that is entitled Navy. The Achaemenid Navy established bases along the Karun and in Bahrain, Oman, and in Yemen. Folks, Bahrain, on top of it, is aligned with Iran. We have Yemen in this mix. You see, folks, in Bahrain, ever since the Arab Spring in 2011, things haven't calmed down. Bahrain is very important concerning ancient history. It was one of the major stops as all the ships were going out from, be it Sumer, ships from Alam. But the main port of call was coming out of there. Uh, oh, that's right, Ophir. Yes, the Indus Valley Civilization was a major naval trading empire. It's all over in the different things they've found. They have found connections back and forth with Sumeria, Elam, not to even mention into the Bactria Margiana complex, which is stretching through Afghanistan and Pakistan and all that area. There's trade going on. It's bringing everything back up. Time of the Occumented Empire. Well, Bahrain, Oman, and Yemen. These places are all very important. Now, we can even touch here, if you bring up Iraq and who else ruled over it, because we had this going on during the Achaemenids and after Darius the Great. Seleucid is how some people pronounce that. I'm not certain of the proper 
pronouncement, but nonetheless, that's one of the uh, leaders that had taken control after the death of Alexander the Great. Then you had a crisscrossing between the Parthians and the Roman rule in Iraq. And as I've stated before, folks, and many of your scholars will just state it right out in broad daylight now. They don't even dance around this. The Parthians were not the media Persians. No, 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 no. I've already done the work on this. They were related right to the Saka Scythian, a.k.a. the Magi. So when they talk about the fact that the Parthians were the ones that sent out the Magi and those were the Zoroastrians, no, they weren't. That's not who was ruling Parthia. That was the actual Saka themselves that were sent out from there. And you trace your history through and you find out, lo and behold, they always make that infamous reference to the, uh, quote-unquote, they call them the kings, or the three kings, or whatever they want to call it. Well, guess what? Something peculiar happens when you look at the kings in Parthia, and you lock in your proper date. There's a reason they did this. Now, I find it interesting here, too, that some very strange little... uh References made here with the Parthian and Roman rule. I'll just start where it states the Sumerian Akkad religious tradition disappeared during this period, as did the last remnants of the cuneiform literacy. Although temples were still being dedicated to the Assyrian national god Asher in his home city as late as the fourth century. Now, again, folks, we're in Iraq right now between the different Persian rulers over this area. Now, folks, as I brought up, I'm looking at cycles of history. When the Persian Empire gained control again is the 3rd century A.D. This is when the Sassanid Empire rose to prominence. And, folks, what I have already found in the Sassanid Empire and its relation to the ancient Achaemenid Empire is literally enough to pretty much blow your mind. Because you're going to realize that when you look at those names, you've got Darius involved, you have Cyrus's involved, but they're going to try to trick you. You have to know what those names actually translate to between the Hebrew and Greek, or you're not going to see it. Khorasaw, for instance, was one of them. Well, folks, that would be the proper name that was used between those different tongues. Uh trying to remember off the top of my head the first one Artisan I believe, Adarasan well that breaks down to Darius and you'll notice that if you start looking at the Greek and Ezra and Nehemiah when you look at those different names coming through you're going to find interesting things with the Greek with the Hazras for instance all kinds of stuff when you get to the Sassanid Empire you've got another revolution in history and then all of a sudden you have when the Muslim conquest played out. And then you have the Varian rule going back and forth and back and forth throughout this area of history, which I have not begun to work on yet. Right now, I'm sticking in the midst of the Sassanid, and right now I'm zeroed in actually on the Byzantine Empire. Why? Folks, when Constantine moved the capital there, what region did he become a ruler over? Because even as time progressed of the Byzantine Empire, well, you have an entire dynasty that's known as the Macedonian dynasty. And folks, they uh, 
they reestablished the map of the ancient Macedonian Empire during that time frame. But even when you get to Justinian within the Byzantines, you're going to find out, lo and behold, somebody was ruling the throne from that region of Macedonia as well. That keeps going forward. There's other events that play out in the midst of this. It's a revolution. This is, as I stated, just looking at two factors in history. When you compare these places to the map as we speak, with these events that are playing out in real time, folks, if you know what you're looking at, we got a whole lot happening in real time. Major, major events continuing to happen here. You know, here's another little spot taking note of as I'm looking at this. See, where does this uh, start? We're going to the 3rd century AD Sassanid Empire. Sassanids conquered the independent states of Adiabene. Folks, that is modern-day Erbil. That is the Kurdish capital where Peshmerga, for instance, is at. It's on a continual basis. It's majorly in the news. Okay, they conquered the independent states of Adiabene, Osirin, Hatara, and finally Asher during the 3rd century. In the mid-6th century, the Persian Empire under the Sassanid dynasty was divided by Karso I. Okay, folks, again, I said this before. That is the same name from those tongues for Cyrus. Into what? Four quarters, of which the western one called Karavan included most of modern Iraq and subdivided to provinces in Mishan, Esaratan, a.k.a. Assyria, Adiabene, and Lower Media. The term Iraq is widely used in the medieval Arabic sources for the area in the center and south of the modern republic as a geographical rather than a political term implying to a greater procession of boundaries than the term Mesopotamia or indeed many of the names of modern states before the 20th century. Folks, I hope everybody understands that the Sassanid Empire is a repetition of the Achaemenids. We're seeing the same repetition play out in broad daylight right in front of our eyes. These spots that are listed, or Bill, they have been having major problems with the Iranian-backed groups, groups specifically backed by the leader of Quds Force, Soleimani. Kirkuk, when it was taken, which was also part of the Kurdish province, was taken by the Iranian forces inside Iraq. This happened right after they tried to do their declaration for independence last year. Played out in real time. The two biggest ones contending that election right now are between Erbil and Kirkuk. Those spots are exact places that when Alexander the Great goes up and has his clash with the he-goat in that time. Okay, folks, he goes up to Erbil. The Battle of Gagamilla plays out 104 kilometers northwest of Erbil. He turns around that night when he's trying to chase Darius III. He goes into Kirkuk. The oil in Kirkuk 
which they had a specific name for. They used it for, well, for one, uh, that name comes up, and they built the ark, and they built the tower. Yes, that's a petroleum. They took that oil, and they made a road of fire for Alexander the Great to go through. So I hope everybody's starting to understand how important it is that when we see these repetitions in history and we look at the map of what we're seeing play out in real time, well, it sort of comes back around to my area of where I'm quite bothered. Why is it that your self-appointed watchmen are not pointing these things out? Why is it these Western self-appointed watchmen are not pointing out what is happening here? I mean, for Pete's sakes, I'll pull some of them up, and, you know, you've got groups that are talking about uh, what the Trump prophecies. They're talking about the Pope. Uh, I mean, we can go for days on end about the nonsense that they're talking about here. They're not watching anything of any importance. They have no comprehension whatsoever what is happening. And folks, there's a warning for those that have dubbed themselves as watchmen. And literally, this goes back, years back, Matthew made a little illustration that I'll pop up from time to time for my profile. What are you watchmen watching as they're sitting there, as he's got the one sitting there watching the TV? Now, the Super Bowl will happen, and you'll have 50,000 of these watchmen write 100,000 articles on the Illuminati agenda of the Super Bowl. Cut this straight to the point. Folks, you don't need to be worrying about the Illuminati. Give me a break. The New World Order, it was always America trying to exert its order over the top of the entire world, a.k.a. the New World. That term was dubbed in 1935 by the founder of what is known as the Fellowship, or it went by the name of the Family, which, not the other group, the Family, this is a different one, This group is also known to be the group that has the prayer breakfast every year in Washington. It's founded by Abraham Verde in 1935. He dubbed that statement the New World Order, where they were going to set up a theocratic regime to rule the entire world through the New World. George Bush Sr., when he made that statement, he was connected into groups that were tied into the prayer breakfast group. It wasn't coincidence that he stood up and made that comment, but he was not talking about the Illuminati taking over the world. No, 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 no. What he was talking about is last day's Babylon controlling the world by doing what? Well, what are they doing right now? Right now they're squeezing everybody economically. Now this does go back to a certain tactic that Israel brought up to be able to stop terrorist funding. But you see, them stopping terrorist funding is quite different than the uh, sanction and trade wars that are playing out. Some of this is attempts to stop certain funding to certain groups, yeah. And this is a whole different ball of wax. And by what is happening, even within the last 24 hours, you see OPEC's about to have their big meeting. And, of course, yesterday, 
the commander-in-chief of the United States started throwing out strings of accusations against OPEC. And, folks, it was decided to pull back by OPEC because there was too much oil flooding the market. They all made an agreement, even with the United States, to do this very thing. When he laid those sanctions in place on Iran, this is what started everything in a troublesome spot because between the sanctions between Iran and then including Venezuela, even as the leader of Iran said, uh, uh, you do realize that your sanctions set this in motion that has caused a lack of oil now to be on the world market. We've had barrels fluctuating between 80 and $72 is what it's currently at. They're proposing that it's going to be anywhere from 105 up to 150 because of everything that has been set in motion. What does that cause? Well, the Fed right now is even in the midst of their big talks. I think that announcement was going to be made today or yesterday. They already stated that there's inflation. They're moving the interest rates by the sounds of it. I don't know if this has happened yet or not. They were waiting for this. How many wheels are set in motion right now as we speak and spinning just like the cogs of a clock? I hand that over to Matthew. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Just like the cogs in a gear. Well, Brian, we are at the end of the show. We're down two minutes left now. We obviously need to continue this study, the crucible. I also want to make mention, if nobody's heard about it, I'm not sure if you all have. I haven't said, spoken anything about it, but uh, me and my son are doing a broadcast called Christian Conspiracy Theory. Just do a search for it. I'm sure you'll find it. This coming week, our regularly scheduled broadcast will be WI2C Radio, Revelation Chapter 10, the Exodus Angel, and the Little Scroll. In my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, the fuse has already been lit. If you haven't checked out the blog spot, you might want to, because you might want to take a look at that uh, event that's coming up here really soon. Before it spelled trouble for, well, just about everybody. You might want to take a look at it. Brian? Well, that does uh, ultimately sort of play into this, doesn't it? And that sign that's coming up here. Because, folks, every one of those wheels keep spinning forward to those repetitions in history. We've had so many events happen here within this last couple of weeks between Europe and Russia, members of NATO, non-members of NATO. Ukraine uh, was trying to, they were trying to uh, negotiate between the UN setting up a peacekeeping force in Ukraine. 
Russia wasn't in agreement with that. You have events happening in Sweden. You have events happening in the other regions um, associated with the Scandinavian folks or the Saka folks. Yeah, I said that for a reason. Being set in motion there, when you begin to pull out, zoom out, and look at this map as a whole. Now, yeah, we're moving forward and doing this program on the crucible. But even as we had constructive criticism that came in that I very much appreciated from one of our listeners, as he stated, well, we need to know when we look at these things happening in real time, we have to understand and know where is this going, what is happening here. So in the midst of this, yes, we're going to be jumping around to different parts on the map because we have so many things in this web that are happening. So when we look back at the last couple of weeks in the news, few back, multiple years going back and forth and back and forth, we're able to start making these cogs in time start to make sense. And that's why I'm going to give it back over to Matthew here. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time, God bless. Godspeed.